1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Y'all, we almost had a catastrophe this morning. My laptop wouldn't turn on. I tape the ads for the podcast separate than I do the actual podcast. So sometimes when the volume is off, that's why, because I tape them at separate times. I usually tape the ads the day before, if not the week before. But I taped the ads last night. And everything was fine. I noticed a weird sound quality, but I thought maybe something had happened to the mic while I was traveling, or I just didn't adjust something, or I was too close to the mic. And so I was like, oh, it's fine. And I didn't think anything of it. And then today, when I went to turn the laptop on, I woke up at the crack of dawn so I could tape this podcast. The laptop wouldn't turn on. And I was like, oh, shit. It took forever to come on. It obviously finally came on because now I'm recording this podcast. I hope it lasts long enough for us to record this episode, and then also, obviously, for me to edit it and get it out. I told y'all a while ago that the laptop that I use for the podcast is from 2015. It's a MacBook Air. I take this thing all over the world because it weighs, like, next to nothing. I mean, next to nothing in comparison to laptops, like, in 2013. I've been trying to hold out because Apple is releasing a new MacBook Air. I know this is nerd shit, but stay with me. But it's releasing a new MacBook Air with an M2 processor, which is the upgrade from the MacBook Air that is currently available. So it's being released next month, but they're not saying when next month. And I'm like, if I wait and I order it, will it get to me in time before I leave for Ghana? I don't know if I have a choice now. I don't know if my current MacBook is going to make it another five weeks. And then I'm like, if I wait until the new MacBook comes out, the M2, will the M1 still be available if I can't get the two on time? Like, what if I wait and they discontinue the M1 and then so that one's not available to purchase and the new one doesn't arrive on time, then I'm really screwed. It also dawns on me that because I have a MacBook from 2015, if I get the M1 from 2021, it's probably going to seem light years ahead to me because my MacBook is seven years old where are my tech people? Can someone weigh in here? I'm so stressed about this. Like, I don't think you understand like the level of meltdown that I had when my MacBook didn't turn on. I was like, oh shit. (sighs) Other than my MacBook, I am in good spirits. I'm actually very, very happy right now. I'm back in LA. I had an amazing time at ABFF. I think last time we spoke was, it was Friday morning for me. The episode got uploaded Friday afternoon for y'all. I hadn't gone to the ABFF Legacy Dinner at Juvia, which was super, super amazing. I know some people listen, but they don't follow me on social media. But if you want to know and see the Miami trip, I did like a 90-second reel of my highlights from Miami. It was a really good trip. Cadillac took amazing care of me, put me up in a suite in the Ritz-Carlton, had like this 6'6 driver slash security Taking me around. I didn't utilize him as security, though. It just wasn't that type of event where people were walking around with security. Although there was, like, one actress who had security in a room full of people that didn't. And then also a room full of people that are, like, way more popular and way more famous than her. And I was like, why do you have security? Like, who is running up on you? In here. Like to go out and about and walk around Miami like outside of the conference, like maybe she needs security. She's a recognizable face. Like, I get it. But just like in the room we were in, I was like, so many people here are so much more famous than you and are just like mingling about with no cares and no worries. Like Sally Richardson Whitfield. And I was like, she's officially A list right now. She's directing, executive producing two hit shows for HBO and she doesn't have security. Why do you have security? I was very confused by it. But nonetheless, the Cadillac was a sponsor of the Legacy Dinner it was on this rooftop in miami 180 views of the city gorgeous at all times but especially at sunset so we ate well we drank well champagne did flow it was abfs 26th conference and they had singers what is it called the mariachi band they had they had the singers and they were singing started from acapulco because that's where abff began but started from acapulco now we're here kind of like started from the bottom like you get it i didn't have to explain that sorry It was really good. I was sitting at the Cadillac table, and I was watching Jeff Friday and his wife, Nicole. They're equal partners and putting on ABFF. But Jeff was speaking about this being like the 26th anniversary, and he was pointing out the people in the room that had been there at the very first ABFF in Acapulco, and how he'd watched people's careers skyrocket, really, over the last 26 years. And I thought it was, one, amazing. You could come up with an idea and do an event and keep it going for 26 years. But then also the people who were sitting in the room and either were in their careers or beginning their careers 26 years ago and were still standing, still relevant, still on the invite list to come and be honored and celebrated. And I was like, I want to do something like that. What else happened at ABFF? I feel like I'm leaving. Oh, so Cadillac also hosted this panel called Leading Men. Melinda Williams, who's also a Cadillac partner, she hosted the Leading Men panel. And remember last episode, I was like, why don't I get to host the guys? Melinda actually did a way better job than I would have done because I would have been up there just fawning. It was Yaya, Chavante Rhodes, and Michael Ealy was Skyped in. He was a little under the weather, so he couldn't come to Miami. But he was um, Skyped in, zoomed in on this big-ass screen, which actually was kind of better because it was just like this gigantic screen and Michael Ealy's face just like all up in it. He does this like thing with his like mouth. It's 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 exhilarating. Like I could not stop looking at him. Like other people were talking and I could not stop looking at Michael Ealy. Like he is gorgeous. My mom and I both have crushes on Michael Ealy. It's like he's generationally fine. Like Denzel. He's like Denzelish. So Melinda Williams is the moderator for this panel about leading men and I would have asked a bunch of questions about, you know, nude scenes or the difference between being like a black heartthrob and a, and a mainstream white heartthrob. Like, is there a difference? I would have had to ask Yaya about getting naked on set and love scenes and all that sort of stuff. Melinda actually, because she is an actress, she asked the actors intelligent questions about existing as a black actor in Hollywood, but she gave the conversation a little more depth. Yaya is He's very artsy, which I kind of knew. He's a very like thinker type, a thinker type that makes sense. Javante Rhodes is... I'm going to skip commentary of him because it was a Cadillac event. And I was in Miami on behalf of Cadillac. So I don't want to say anything untoward about him. The actual panel was great. Melinda did good. All the guys looked amazing. Travante is doing this Mike Tyson series for Hulu um, and he had to get his body right for the role. His body is amazing. You can see it in a T-shirt like it's amazing. Like He's beautiful. I don't have a crush on him anymore. Remember like a couple episodes ago I was like raving and I was like, oh, Travante and his draws and and, and Travante and this Mike Tyson series. And I can't wait to watch, which I still can't wait to watch. They had an extended trailer that they showed us at the festival, and the series looks amazing. And Trevante, I think he's a great actor. What I saw just from the trailer, I loved, I enjoyed, I look forward to it coming out. But I no longer have a crush on Trevante Rhodes. I like, like The more he spoke, the more I was like, womp, womp, womp. He just is different. And he was, like, rude to Michael Ely. Like, he was going back and forth with Michael Ely. And I was like, do you understand that you're speaking to, like, MF Michael Ealy? I mean, I know that, you know, we're all God's children. We're all equal. But I'm just sort of like, like, he's MF Michael Ealy. Stop it. I don't, I just, I didn't, I didn't care for him. But Yaya cared for very much. Like, he walked out on stage You know, he did like a little wave and then he stopped, you know, like um, late night talk shows, like people sometimes stop and just like soak up the applause. People applauded when he came out and it was sort of like waning. And then he stopped and just waited for his love and people roared for him, roared. Deserving. He's a gorgeous guy. He's got a good mind. Michael Ely's comedic timing is also like really good. I don't necessarily think of him being funny. Like when I think of Michael Ely, I think like, remember we saw him on Bel Air? Like as soon as he popped up, we were like, oh no, oh no. Everyone started expecting the worst because Michael Ely is always troublesome in all of his films. He's either crazy or like a killer or just causing destruction and mayhem, which we're still not sure that's what he's up to in Bel-Air. Like as soon as we saw him, though, we were like, no, but he's so aware that that's what people think of him. But he's actually like really funny, really smart. Like, I knew he was all of these things. Like, I kind of know him in person. Not, like, numbering my phone where I can text him. But, like, I told you the Michael Ely story, how he used to just, like, pop up at Essence when the offices were, like, in Midtown. Like I was sitting at my desk one day, and I was eating a sandwich. Um, and I just taken a big bite of something. And the entertainment editor at the time, she comes out of her office, and she says my name. I just taken a bite or whatever. But I turned around, and she, she was like, look who's here to see you. And it was motherfucking Michael Ely. Just standing there smiling, and I was like, "What are you doing here? Like, what? How are you here? Like, what's happening?" So this mofo was like, "Yeah, I was just walking down the street. I've told you this story before, right?" But he was like, "I was in town. I was walking down the street. I saw Essence on the door, and I'd interviewed him for Essence at the festival, maybe like the year before or something. I was a mess. I dropped the cue cards. Like, I was just. I couldn't get my words out. He was so gorgeous." Oh, he's distractingly beautiful where I couldn't concentrate. I can't even talk about him without going on a ramble. I turn around. He's there. He's like, hey, Demetria. I was walking down the street. I saw Essence on the door. And so I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to go up and say hi. He just comes in the building, goes upstairs, waits on the fourth floor for someone to open the door and wanders around the office and then finds Corey. And it's like, hey, and Corey had the same reaction I did. Like, what the fuck? Hi, Michael Ely. The fuck are you doing here? just charming and pleasant wonderful just walking around with a face like that and that lethal weapon that is his smile seemingly having no idea of the effect that it has on people he might know now I don't know if he knew then just but ever since then every time I see him he always speaks he's very nice a light respectable hug now that he's married before then he would like take pictures and like prom pose so that, like, his front is facing your back and your tush is on him. And he took that photo with everyone. It wasn't just me. I'm obsessed with Michael Ely. Oh my God. He looks so beautiful. It was a really good panel. If you can't tell from my, like, enthusiasm, it might have been even better that Michael Ely wasn't in person just to stare at his. Okay, I'm moving on. I'm just moving on. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Did so anything else happen at ABFF that was really good? Oh, Club Quarantine. Technically wasn't a part of ABFF, but D Nice. Um, and friends were in Miami at an amphitheater downtown. I don't know if that was a brickle. I just know how to like cross a bridge to get there. We got there late, like doors opened at seven. And I want to say we got there probably at like nine. So I saw on the lineup that it was going to be Tank. I saw it was going to be Mace, Fat Joe, Elder Barge, and somebody else. And in my head, I just totally screwed up the lineup because I just knew that Mace or Tank would be closing. And instead I missed both of them and got Fat Joe, which I wasn't mad at. I love Fat Joseph Cartania. That man is out of his mind hilarious. I love him. Elder Barge, that's like my babysitter's music. That's like seven years before me. Like, I know the songs. Like, I can recognize them, but I don't know the lyrics to them. That was, that mm, mm, that was interesting. D-Nice is like obsessed with Elder Barge. Like, he like came down from his DJ high place to like personally greet Elder Barge and thank him for coming. I'm sure all this happened backstage, but he really just wanted to show him love and thank him for coming. Like he has a deep, deep respect for Elder Barge, And I thought it was very beautiful the way that he showed love to him. You know, Elderbarge and the whole family, they, they've been through a lot. How do I want to say this? Elderbarge, he couldn't hit the low notes. Like all the low notes were flat, but all the high notes he did hit. That's, I don't know if I can be mad at it. Because I'm like, everybody's here for the high notes and you hit like, you know, all the parts that, you know, people want you to hit, like the favorite parts where you're just like, oh, can he hit it in person? Can he do it in person? He did. But just like the regular singing, not so good. Not so good. Not so good at all. And I was really surprised that he closed out the show. But I guess like, you know, of the lineup, he is the legend. But I'm so mad I miss Mace. I love me some Minister Mace. Problematic though he may be, I love me some Minister Mace. What do we have to actually talk about today? What else is going on? Oh, we have one more piece of good black news. This is my personal good black news that I would like to share with you. In the current issue of town and country, it's the summer travel issue. There is a wonderful article about Jerry Major. Are you familiar with Jerry Major? She was the society editor for Jet Magazine back in, say, like the 1950s. And she's considered one of the original black travel influencers. So Miss Jerry Major would bounce all over the world and she would write travel dispatches for jet magazines. So for folks who weren't able to go trot all over God's green earth, she would go and report back. In the article, they call her a jet setter before there were jets. But because it was an article about black women who travel, obviously Jerry being originator for black folks and travel narratives. The writer, Tanisha C. Ford, she spoke to other black women in the travel space. So me, because, you know, I bounce around the world. And in 2011, I created the hashtag See Some World, which I think has more than 53,000 posts on Instagram right now. Like See Some World totally became a thing. It's a hashtag that I just started using way back when, like literally over a decade ago to sort my travel narratives. And then other people started using it. Um, So it's become a resource and a popular hashtag. So I talked about that in Town & Country. If you want to pick up a copy of the magazine to read this amazing article, please do. If you like, D, I ain't got got time to go pick up a magazine. I love you, but I ain't got time. Um, That's fine. Just go to townandcountry.com and you can read the article in full on the site. I am going to go pick up an actual copy. But you do what you feel is best for your life and your budget. And last but not least, let's just get all the mentions out the way. If you have not been to DemetriaLucas.com to pick up your merch, the store is closing. The merchandise store is closing in less than a month. We are in our final days of merchandise. Everything that says Ratchet and Respectable is gone. Y'all took care of that between last week and this week. But there are still, I think there's there's still hoodies and sweatshirts for cut the check and interested men act interested. Hoodies, crew necks, and a few tees. I want to say like literally like four. Everything else is gone. Um, if you want them pause, pause the podcast. Now go buy your merch and then come back because literally like the store is closing in in less than a month. It's closing before I move to DC, which is about two weeks before I move to Ghana. Oh my God, we're winding down. Actually, let me rephrase that because last time I said something like that, people freaked out. I am winding down. My stay in America is winding down. The podcast is not winding down. I said something on a previous episode that implied that I wouldn't be doing the podcast from Ghana. That is not accurate. You will still get a podcast. You will still get it twice a week. It may be slightly different. I don't know. Ghana got some crazy news. I told you about the millionaire with the lions. And some people might be like, oh, you know, a millionaire with lions in Africa, you know, that's that's not crazy. Yeah, it is. Folks don't just be having lions in their house just because it's Africa. Because Sir had lions and it became like a news story. The lions were like attacking people in the neighborhood. I mean, they're cubs. They're small lions. They're playful. But at the same time, they were attacking people in the neighborhood, like, you know, like a dog chasing you down. A lion, a small lion, but a lion nonetheless, was, was chasing neighbors down. And neighbors also said there was a smell emitting from the home because, you know, the wildlife living inside. And they were like, how is this acceptable for this man to have lions in his house? I don't care how much money he makes. Get them goddamn lions out this neighborhood. The government said he could keep his lions, though. Man has a lot of money, a lot of real estate. He generates a lot of income for the country. His lions are staying. But shit like that, I feel like we may have to discuss. Because there's, there's stories and shenanigans. The slight cultural differences make for like huge what-the-fuck moments. So we'll see. But otherwise, the podcast will be the same. I'll still be connected to all my social networks. I'll still have access to all the TV shows and all the other stuff, the films. In my apartment, it will be American. Once I step outside, I'll be in Ghana. But in the apartment, we're, it's an American home. What do we actually have to talk about this week? There is a Nike biopic coming. It's featuring Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Remember, I don't remember when the uh, documentary came out. Michael Jordan had a documentary, that five-part documentary that was ten hours. I think it's currently on Netflix. But in the documentary, he talked about his deal with Nike um, and how Nike, when he signed, wasn't that popular, and he could have had a deal with you know like any of the other major shoe companies, and he took a really big gamble going with Nike because they were unproven. So Jordan and Nike blew up together and Jordan made a shit ton of money. I think I read somewhere that Jordan has made $1.3 billion just off his deal with Nike alone. And I was like, why don't we ever talk about Jordan being a billionaire? Like we talk about Rihanna, we talk about Kanye, we talk about LeBron, we talk about a lot of people being billionaires. But we never talk about Michael Jordan being one. He is one, right? He's got to be. I mean, I guess he doesn't have to be, but if made $1.3 million from Nike and all the other endorsements that he's had. Plus, you know, like, I remember he got paid like $23 million one season at the NBA. I mean, that was a long time ago, but like, did he blow all that money? Why is he not a billionaire? Or he just doesn't want to be like listed as a billionaire. He just wants to like mind his business and eat his food. That's not the point. The point is Nike has a really interesting origin story. With two white guys who are partners. So Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. They're like Hollywood besties right? I think so. Um, So they're doing this Nike biopic. And then the black news is. Viola Davis, Chris Tucker, Marlon Wayans. Are all in this film. I know Viola Davis is playing Michael Jordan's mother. I have no idea who Marlon Wayans and Chris Tucker are playing. But my million dollar question. Is because so much of this film revolves around Michael Jordan. Who's playing Michael Jordan? I haven't heard that announced yet. And I went and looked for it. Like I Googled it to see who was playing Michael Jordan. I don't know. I'm reading about the, the movie on thesavagepost.com. They note that Nike is the biggest sports brand in the world, which I knew. They said Jordan brand alone produced $5 billion in sales in 2021, according to Yahoo Finance. Do you remember, was it uh, Magic Johnson? It wasn't in his documentary because he had a doc remember he had a documentary on Apple and then there was the HBO show going at the same time that was scripted. The one that Sally Richardson Whitfield because I was like, yo, she's A-list right now. Winning time. Was it Winning Time? Showtime. Winning Time. I think it's Winning Time. But Sally Whitfield is I don't know if she's a producer on that one. I know for sure she's a director. Um, but there was an episode that spent a great deal of time talking about Magic Johnson in his early years, like literally like his rookie season with the the Lakers, how he was always business oriented. But it talks about how Nike approached him like, hey, like we want to do this deal with you and we want you to wear our shoes. And Magic Johnson was like, what the fuck is a Nike? Like, no. And went and signed with either Converse or Adidas because those were like the bigger brands at the time. But I've read somewhere, I want to say if Magic Johnson had taken that deal that Nike offered him, He'd be worth about $5 billion. Was it $3 billion? $5 billion. I mean, at some point, it's all the same fucking thing. Unless you're like, you know, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. Speaking of Elon Musk, is he buying Twitter or not? Is that done? I haven't heard anything about that. I remember he said something about, like, Twitter had a whole bunch of, like, bots and subscribers. And so he was rethinking the deal. And then there was, like, all this fuss about him causing Twitter's shares to drop. And like one way or another, Twitter was going to get a billion from him because even if he backed out the deal, he still had to pay a billion. But is he buying Twitter or no? Because that story came and went. And I never really got a resolution on what was going on with that. (sighs) Womp womp. But I do want to know who's playing Michael Jordan in this film. That matters. Today's episode is brought to
0: you by Angie. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's angi.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
1: Gerard Carmichael was in GQ. It's a really good read. Do you remember Gerard Carmichael from I mean the Carmichael Show, which I've still never seen. Everyone raves about it, and they were like, "How did you miss it?" Like it was on like uh, like network TV for three seasons, and I was like, "Nope, missed missed all of it." Nope, mm-mm. I don't think I'd ever heard Gerard Carmichael's name before Ruth Daniel, but that's a hell of an introduction. Like I'm obsessed with him now, um, and he has a really long story in GQ. It's a good read. But the most interesting takeaway, because it talks a lot about Rothaniel and like what led up to Rothaniel and then what happened after. Um, And if you watch the comedy special, like um, a big part of it, he talks about his mother not accepting that he's gay. I mean, he comes out in the comedy special. That's kind of why it was like such a big deal and very talked about. But he also talked about like how, how he came out to his parents before he came out to the world and how his mother doesn't accept him and how difficult that is. And he was like, you know, my mother's fine with every other part of me, but she just can't accept this thing, which is a big part of his identity. And the article starts out talking about how he hasn't been home in more than a year. So the special comes out, his family sees it. He said his family had quote, subpar ass reactions. His mother hasn't, um, hasn't changed her stance. He did say that he had a 15 year old cousin who hit him immediately. He did say that he had a 15-year-old cousin who hit him immediately and was very accepting. Um, But that's about it. I don't think he even mentions his dad. So if you were hoping for like, you know, a happy ending to the Rothaniel. Technically, it's a comedy special, but it it wasn't really comedy. I I felt like it was a confessional. But whatever Rothaniel was, there, there has not been a happy ending to it yet. Yet. Dot, 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 dot. To be continued. He does have interesting thoughts on... On Dave Chappelle, which I think are worth mentioning because I also have a similar thought about Dave Chappelle. I like Dave Chappelle. Let me just say that. He did a comedy show in Vegas last year, 4th of July, and and I literally got in the car and drove over to Vegas because my friend got me me a ticket, I want to say like a third row ticket for my birthday. I say all that to say that I like Dave Chappelle very much, but I also think Dave Chappelle has... Extraordinary blind spots, particularly when it comes to gay folk and trans folk. And I liked very much Gerard Carmichael's take on it. So the conversation for Chappelle comes up when he's talking about I called, I said it was his I said it was his 15 year old cousin. It's actually his 15 year old niece. Carmichael said that she reached out to him after the special and she said, Quote, I see you, I hear you. And Carmichael goes on to say, he says, I love this generation. I actually fuck with them and fuck all those comedians they are going so hard against them. And so GQ editorializes, it's not hard to guess who he might be talking about. So Carmichael goes on to say, Chappelle, do you know what comes up when you Google your name, bro? That's your legacy? Your legacy is a bunch of opinions on trans shit? It's an odd hill to die on. And it's like, hey, bro. Who the fuck are you? Who do you fuck? What do you like to do? Childish jokes aside, who the fuck are you? It's just kind of played, but he's choosing to die on this hill. So, all right, let him. I think that's a fair take. Because it is weird that, like, Dave Chappelle is going so hard against, like, the trans community. And I'm like, at this point... Is this like the GP of it all? Like, you can't tell me what to do. I can say what I want. I can do what I want. So you're just going to keep saying it like over and over and over, even though tons of people have explained to you like why your particular take on the trans community is wrong. It's weird. As Carmichael says, like when you Google Dave Chappelle, that's what comes up. Like, why is this your hill to die on? He has so much more to offer than just being the face of anti-trans shit. That's it. Because I told you I'm a Chappelle fan. As soon as I heard about that show with him and Chris Rock in London, I called his tour manager and was like, hey, so are you guys going to have tickets for that? Because I'll fly over because I want to go to that. Just keep me in mind. Thanks. I love my life. I understand that some of the shit I say is like completely out of fucking touch sometimes. It's it's my life. I, I don't know what else to do. I worked really, really hard to have this life. She might not say yes, but she might say yes. I asked. Oh, this is a small thing, but a thankful thing. People have been so hard on Chris Brown. I feel like whenever he does anything right, sometimes I just need to acknowledge it because I've gone hard on Chris Brown. And I genuinely think that he's trying to get his life together. Sometimes I have to be very mindful that he was extraordinarily young when the domestic violence incident with Rihanna happened. And it has sort of been a dark cloud, a black mark, you might want to say, over his life and his career forever forth. And I just try to be mindful that he was really, really young. It's also been a while Since he's done like some complete crazy shit. Right? Has he done crazy shit recently? Nothing that pops in my head. But lately folks have been comparing Chris Brown and Michael Jackson. And this has been conversation that is happening around Chris Brown. This is not something that Chris Brown has said. But there's been a sizable conversation about it on Twitter. Ryan Clark. I'm not familiar with who Ryan Clark is. Former NFL player. Is he one of the guys from that podcast? With the guy that um, he he pretends to be a stray cat. You know what I'm talking about. But is he on that podcast? Because that podcast is like really popular. popular. But I don't know none of their names. I just know the guy who like does sex role play with his wife. You know, and the marriage bed is undefiled. The shit's weird, but the marriage bed is undefiled. They want to role play as he's like a, a dirty cat. <clears throat> I can't even say that shit with a straight face. I mean, he put the business out there. That's the only reason we know it. But, you know, if he and his wife are, are grown and consenting, if that's what they like to do, then, you know then good for them. But 50 Cent has also said that Chris Brown was better than Michael Jackson. Justin Bieber said it. I was like, are you, are you people on drugs? Are you people on drugs? Chris Brown is amazing. He is an amazing performer. He's an amazing dancer. He also can sing. Yes. I understand how Chris Brown can be um, in conversation as, as, as someone who is incredibly influenced by Michael Jackson and is fulfilling his legacy. In a strong way. I I, I understand that conversation. But bigger than Michael Jackson? You smoke crack, don't you? Don't you smoke crack? I don't even know why people would say that. Chris Brown also thinks people that say that he is better than Michael Jackson are smoking crack. He was on Big Boy's Neighborhood, the radio show earlier this week. And Big Boy asked him what he thinks about the conversation that he's better than Michael Jackson. So he said to Big Boy, my personal take on it is I wouldn't even be breathing or even be able to sing a song if that man didn't exist. Speaking of Jackson, he said, I don't know if they look at it as a Jordan Kobe thing, but I couldn't even look at it. He's light years ahead. There's no competing with him. Chris added, finally, he said, I have shrines of this man hanging up in my house. Hell no, I ain't better than him. Okay, so let's just stop this conversation. Chris Brown has declared he's not better, so we can, we can end this conversation. I don't even know how this conversation got this far, but good for Chris Brown. He said and done something right in public, and I would just like to acknowledge him for it. He also has a new album coming out called Breezy. I haven't been a big fan of like the last few albums. Not that he's making bad music. This hasn't been my cup of tea, and that's fine. Everything is not my cup of tea. Speaking of music, you know what else is not my cup of tea? And I probably should have mentioned this higher in the podcast, but I didn't because I'm not trying to get cursed out by, you know, the stands and fans, the the beehive, which I'm not a card carrying member, but I told y'all last episode, I was excited about this new Beyonce song and I was looking forward to hearing it. I said that I was looking forward to the album. I listened to that song, that new song that came out last night at midnight. I don't like it. I don't like it. People are like, Demetri, you just don't, you're not familiar with like house and dance. I grew up in PG County, adjacent to Baltimore. I know what house music is. I know what club music is. I was a teenager in the 90s. Like, like I, I grew up on C.C. Peniston. I had a C.C. Peniston Bob for years, both as a teenager and again in my 30s. Y'all remember my Bob? I love that Bob. That's not the point. The point is, I don't like the song. It doesn't mean it's a bad song. It doesn't mean I don't like Beyonce. It just means I don't care for the song. Now, maybe when when she drops the video to accompany the song, because Beyonce's appeal to me, for me, let me say for me, Beyonce's appeal is highly visual. There are many Beyonce songs that I, I very much enjoy, but I very much like watching Beyonce perform. I don't look down on people who like the new Beyonce song. If you like it, I love that for you. I want you to enjoy it. I'm just saying me personally, myself, I did not care for the song. And I wish I did, because it's much easier to like like Beyonce music than to have to dissent, because then people want to call you out your name just because you didn't like a song. And I'm like, is it that serious? To some people, it is. You know what else I didn't like? And maybe I'm just being like a hater this week. I didn't like that Drake album either. There were more songs that I liked than I didn't like, but some of those songs are just absolute trash. Like the production was terrible. And then other songs, like they were fine. They were okay. I wasn't mad at them. It's not something I'm going to be in my car and like, you know, doing a drive across country, which I'm not doing, by the way. I'm shipping my car, but it's not something I'll, I'll ever get in my truck and be like, oh, let me put on that new Drake. No, I put on the Drake before this Drake. I like that album. But this new Drake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to talk about Monique right now. Monique settled her Netflix case. She has sued Netflix for discrimination. I think it was. I'm reading this on um, NBC News. She accused the streaming service of racial and sexual discrimination. So if you remember this, Monique wanted to do a Netflix special. And Netflix offered her, I want to say it was $500,000. And Monique was like, why so low? And then went back to negotiate. And they pulled away and wouldn't negotiate with her. That So Monique filed a lawsuit because she said the company was underpaying her because she was a black woman. She further went to say that Netflix was willing to negotiate with other comics and made deals worth tens of millions. And this article specifically goes on to to talk about Chris Rock, who I think had like a $50 million deal with Netflix. And then also Dave Chappelle, he had a $60 million deal. Ellen DeGeneres had one as well. I don't remember what, what Ellen's was. I didn't really pay attention. But this suit has been going on since November 2019. Netflix denied Monique's allegations. They released a statement. They said, quote, we care deeply about inclusion, equity and diversity and take any accusations of discrimination very seriously. We believe our opening offer to Monique was fair, which is why we will be fighting this lawsuit. Um, Netflix and Monique finally have settled the lawsuit. A A lawyer for Monique says the matter has, quote, been amicably resolved. That's what he told The Hollywood Reporter, which NBC is quoting in this article. NBC also notes that the terms of the settlement were not disclosed. And Netflix has not responded to a request for comment. So does that mean Monique was right? Or does that just mean folks got tired of fighting? I don't know exactly what that means. All I get is that they've settled. That doesn't really mean somebody's right or somebody's wrong. That means they're tired of fighting. I hope she got more. For the settlement, then she would have received for, one, the actual special, the 500000 that they initially offered her, and also the money that she's been shelling out for the last two years in legal fees. Nope, 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 nope. Hold on. Now I'm reading this on People. It says, a court document obtained by People dated June 14th. It says, plaintiff Monique Hicks, that's Monique's real name, and defendant Netflix Incorporated, through their respective council of record, hereby stipulate and agree to dismiss this entire action, including without limitation all claims alleged therein, with prejudice, with each party to bear her or its own cost, expenses, and attorney's fees. Reps for Netflix and Monique have not responded to people's requests for comment. I guess, I guess there's a gag order there. Hollywood Reporter also has the story. So does the Washington Post. Like everyone, and their mother covered this story. I just don't understand what it all means. Like, I mean, okay, like they settled and we don't know the amount, but is it, does it prove Monique was right? I don't know. Okay, this Hollywood Reporter article is not loading. Do I care this much to like keep searching? I don't. Let's see, last but not least. Oh, that's not last but not least. There's one other Monique story. Monique apologized to, we talked about this previously too. DL, Monique had said some very disparaging things about Dio Hughley's wife. And um, she talked about uh, um, an incident of abuse with Dio Hughley's daughter, which Dio Hughley, we only know about because Dio Hughley told everyone. And in telling everyone, he said that he didn't handle it correctly. But Monique talked about that. Dio Hughley's oldest daughter, I believe, got in Monique's comments on Instagram Um, And told her that she didn't want her talking about her family further. And that, you know, what she said was hurtful. So the daughter came to her, like came to her as a woman. And was basically like, keep my family's name out your mouth. Literally, she said, because you about to have us come out of character. We talked about all of that on a previous episode, though. So Monique recently performed at the Duke Energy Center of Performing Arts in Riley, North Carolina. I'm reading this on Complex.com. While she was on stage, she said, I'd like to consider myself a woman of honor. So I've got to do something right now publicly that I did publicly. And when I fuck something up, I've got to fix it. So I'm going to take care of that right now before I go any motherfucking further. I guess the motherfucker was so you ain't niggas hear me. So she says, quote, to D.L. Hughley's family, I want to publicly apologize if I hurt anyone's feelings. I want to publicly apologize to his wife, his babies, if I hurt their feelings, because that was never my goddamn intention. I never meant to hurt their feelings. And then she goes on. But oh, but that nigga DL, I meant every motherfucking thing I said. (sighs) I hate when people apologize like this. And I'm not just being nitpicky because it's it's Monique. I don't want to be nitpicky with Monique. I really genuinely want this black woman to win. Like, black woman to black woman, I want her to win. I want her to be at her best. I want her to be known for her work because she is a very talented woman. I want her to be known for her work instead of her drama. But I hate when people apologize like this. Like, I want to publicly apologize if I did something wrong. Like, you're not acknowledging you actually did something You're wrong. You're like, you know, if if it's possible that I could have maybe potentially in some, you know, in some alternate universe, you feel that I was wrong then I want to apologize to you. There is no if here. You know, you know that you hurt this woman's feelings because she came in your comment section, your public comments on your public page, which people screenshot and saw the Shade Room Brand stories. Many, many articles were written about it. I talked about it on this podcast because so many articles were written about it that it came to my attention because I don't follow Monique. But she said, yes, you, you have hurt my family's feelings. You have spoken ill of my mother. And then to bring up the abuse of the child, like as the older sister said when she addressed Monique, you're doing all of this over, either she said a contract dispute or a concert lineup. Either or. So there's no if. The woman told you, like, I am upset. I am upset. Our feelings are hurt. We are mad. We are about to come out of character on your ass. So this, this apology, like, if I hurt their feelings... Because that was never my goddamn intention. What did you think? Like, what what was your intention, though? Like, what did you think would happen when you brought up this wife who has nothing to do with any of this, who wasn't present? And to my knowledge, too, at this time, has never said a public word about Monique. Like, even now. Like, what did you think would happen when you said, like, this woman should be embarrassed to suck her husband's dick? Like, she got a mama. She got friends. She got a hairdresser. She got church family. She got sisters. She got nieces. She got daughters. Your intention was not to hurt or harm. I, I, I mean, it was to hurt and harm Dio Hughley, which, you know, she said, which she goes on to say, like after she apologizes, which kind of negates the whole thing. But like, that wasn't your intention. Well, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. You were pissed at Dio Hughley. So you went for the jugular. And You know, Dio Hughley don't really give a fuck about nothing. You can tell by the stuff he talks about in his show. Like he got on the show and talked about not believing his daughter when she said she was sexually assaulted. He don't really give a fuck. He ain't fully all right in the head. We've been noticed. But he's still a father and a husband. She got a soft spot for his wife and kids, which is exactly why Monique mentioned them. So this, oh, it wasn't my intention to hurt you. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Because they're Dio Hughley's soft spot and you wanted to hurt him. And they were collateral damage in that. Like, what did you think? Like, when you started talking about when you brought up this sexual abuse of his daughter, like, his daughter's still alive. As far as we know, she can read right in here. So, like, she was going to hear about it. But when you brought that up, like you just didn't think about her, that's fucked up, ain't it? it? That that deserves more than a, you know, if I hurt your feelings, that was not my intent. It was. It was. Like, if you want to apologize for something, just admit I was wrong. I was wrong. I said the wrong thing. In the heat of the moment, I acted impulsively. I was angry about a, a contract dispute or a concert lineup, and I took it too far. And I shouldn't have brought his wife and children into this. I just should have said filthy shit. About this motherfucker. Do better. Do better. (sighs) Hi, I'm your
0: inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So,
1: while I fly and talk to
0: animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Hmm, what flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you.
1: Last but not least, I'm sorry. I just got a a, a confirmation from the good folks at Versus. One of my really good friends runs Versus. But Omarion and Mario are doing a Versus on Thursday. And as soon as I saw it, I hit my friend and was like, I want to go. I want to go. So now when the project manager's over at Triller is hitting me to confirm, I'm so excited. And she's the sweetest. Can I call her name? Would she be mad? Donna Marie Llewellyn. She calls me, quote, my best friend in my head. Um, and she said, I thought I saw hashtag see some on your Instagram, but I wasn't sure. And now I know She I, she's so excited and I'm so excited. Omarion and that like, I don't feel no ways about it. When they asked him about his uh, his former bandmate being in a relationship with the mother of I want to say two children, two children, one child. I don't know. They ain't together no more. She done moved on with Tay Diggs, like, you know, whatever. But they asked Omarion, they said, how you feel about this? He said, I don't feel no ways about it. That's a level of zen I will never reach. My fired up ass. I have all the feelings. I'm a cancer. Which, by the way, today is the beginning of cancer season. Somebody sent me this meme. It happens every year. But they were like, happy cancer season. How are you going to celebrate? You going to cry? Charlemagne's also a cancer. He posted something about us crying and being emotional earlier today. And I was like, well, it's the truth. It's the truth. We have feelings. Under these hard shells. We have deep, deep, deep feelings. We're, just, we're glass cases of emotion. It feels good to feel. (sighs) Okay, we need to talk about Herschel Walker. And I'm glad we didn't talk about him last week. Because if I mentioned him on Friday, I wouldn't have been up to date with the most recent Herschel Walker stories. I guess last week, maybe it was Thursday or Friday, when I first came across the Herschel Walker story, it was Daily Beast had done a story about Herschel Walker. And they said, Herschel Walker is hiding a child. If you aren't familiar with Herschel Walker, he is running for Senate, black guy running for Senate against um, Reverend Warnock, Reverend Warnock in Georgia. He is, if I recall correctly, Reverend Warnock, isn't he like the, the pastor of, of Ebenezer Baptist Church where Martin Luther King used to be? But Herschel Walker, is all, he's a black man. He is a Republican. He is running against Senator Raphael Warnock. That's his first name. I couldn't remember his first name. We like Raphael Warnock. We like him lots. He has good sense. He has good sense. I think he is a great person to represent Georgia in the Senate. Um, Herschel Walker, not so much. Not a very bright man from the interviews that I've seen. But the important thing about Herschel Walker right now is that Herschel Walker has gone around talking about the absence of black fathers in the black community. He goes very pound cake Remember Bill Cosby and in in his pound cake speeches about folks pulling their pants up and these uh unique names that people give to their children. He might have called them ghetto. If he didn't say it outright, that's what he was hinting at. But Mr. Cosby had much uh, respectability politics about the people of the black community. And I was like, How you got respectability politics and you run around raping people? Allegedly. We gotta say that because the conviction was overturned. But that's not the story we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about Herschel Walker who's been disparaging to black fathers all the while, all the while he was hiding not one, not two, but three, three children. He was hiding a child and another child and another child. So we did know that he had one child with his, I think it was a previous wife. That child is has a pretty high profile And Herschel Walker does talk about him a lot. But these other three children, 13-year-old child. There's also a 10-year-old child. And then there is a child that he had when he was in college. And then they have the age of that child. That's a daughter. So several weird things have happened since the Daily Beast first came out with this story. I think the first child that they identified was the 13-year-old. And when they went to Herschel Walker's campaign and they said hey we hear that there's there's a child that Herschel Walker doesn't doesn't talk about Herschel Walker is hiding a child so the campaign came back They sent this statement to the Daily Beast. They said, quote, Herschel had a child years ago when he wasn't married. He supported the child and continues to do so. He's proud of his children. To suggest that Herschel is hiding the child because he hasn't used him in his political campaign is offensive and absurd. It's like, so when Daily Beast was only aware of one child, the campaign came back and they talked about this this child. Literally, Herschel had a child years ago. A child, one child, not plural. It doesn't mention the other two children that the Daily Beast later found out about after the initial story ran. So when the Daily Beast came out with the first story, it was Herschel Walker is hiding a child. I'm giving the same emphasis that Pusha T gave when he when he told people that Drake was hiding a child. So after the Daily Beast found out about more children, Then Herschel Walker wrote a statement, not just a campaign statement, but a a statement actually like attributed to him. And he said, I have four children, which, yes, the Daily Beast had already determined that. So after they found out, then you were like, oh, yes. And by the way, at first it was like, yes, Herschel Walker had a child in addition to the child that y'all know about. But now it's four children. Now you're claiming all four, at least four that we know of now. There could be more coming. So he says, yes, I have four children. Three sons and a daughter. He doesn't say that there are four children by four different women. This is four different broken homes that he's that he's created. Nick Cannon's future. Is this where Herschel Walker is headed? I don't know. Continue quoting. They're not undisclosed. They're my kids. I support them all and love them all. I've never denied my children. He goes on to say, I chose not to use them as props to win a political campaign. What parent would want their child involved in in garbage gutter politics like this? Now, see, he he would have a point, a point that I could acknowledge, right? If he hadn't referred to repeatedly the child that he has always acknowledged. I think that's the 22 year old. He's talked about that child on multiple occasions. Everyone knows that that's Herschel Walker's kid. So if you've never mentioned that child, you've never mentioned any of your kids. Fair game. I don't mention my kids. There was no need for me to mention because I don't mention any of them because I don't want them involved in the grime of politics. But you already mentioned a kid. And then he'd have another argument to make if he said, well, I mentioned that kid because it's, that kid is an adult. I'm not going to mention my younger kids because I don't want my, my minor children involved in this nasty game of politics. I'd get that. I'd get that. But one of the children that he's been hiding, even though he says he hasn't, the one of the children he's been hiding is also an adult. So why didn't you mention the other adult kid? Hmm? Because you're hiding children. Which, look, look, you don't have to mention your kids. Actually, if you wanted to pick and choose the children that you wanted to mention, like what was that reality show with the crazy white people? There was the wife with the red hair who eventually got kicked off the view. Osborne's. the Osborne show. There was the crazy dad who bit the head off a pigeon. There was the mom with the red hair. And then there was like the two kids. There was a third kid who didn't want to be on MTV. I think it was a daughter. She was like, I'm not with this shit. Y'all want cameras in your faces. Y'all want all these people paying attention to you. I want to be able to go to the mall and go to the grocery store in peace. Leave me out of it. And they did. She was in the whole house with them while MTV cameras were in there filming and was never seen. She didn't want to be bothered. Like, what's the Trump girl? What's the Trump daughter? Was it Tiffany? I mean, she's not the favorite child anyway. But Tiffany was like, leave me be. I'm not in the mix of all this shit. Leave me out of it. I don't want to be bothered. Okay. Okay. The issue is, sir is out here disparaging black fathers for not taking care of their children. And apparently he is not taking care of his children either. It goes a little deeper than him not telling people about the child. Because the Daily Beast got all up in his business. I mean, deep. The Daily Beast says, quote, Walker does not see his 10 year old son, according to a person close to the boy's family. The Daily Beast editorializes, quote, the pattern belies a deep hypocrisy. As the Daily Beast reported, Walker has made a point over the years to criticize absentee fathers, beseeching parents in multiple addresses to hug your child. He specifically singles out the black community. As recently as 2020, he said, quote, you can leave the wife, but don't leave your child. Walker has also called on the black community to prioritize the burden over other social causes, such as Black Lives Matter. In early August 2020, Walker chided professional athletes for giving money to the cause, saying, let's not do that. But, quote, let's become fathers of those fatherless children. You mean like the children? That you created that you weren't actively involved with fathering like those children. The Daily Beast goes on. They went full usher. They say, if you're going to tell it, then you got to tell it all. They note that Walker also has a history of violence against women, according to numerous reports. One of his exes accused him of, quote, being physically abusive, claiming that Walker threatened, quote, to blow my brains out. In 2005, a judge granted this woman a protective order against Walker, pursuant to alleged threats, and temporarily revoked Walker's right to carry a firearm. They also have questions about Walker's mental health. It said in a 2008 autobiography, Breaking Free, Walker revealed an ongoing battle with mental health and the toll it took on his personal relationships. He said he had been diagnosed with disassociative identity disorder and had multiple alter personalities. That's not the crazy part. The therapist who diagnosed Walker claims that disassociative identity disorder is the product of satanic demons. What? (laughs) Now, look, I ain't got nothing against people with mental health. If you've been treated for it, if you're on your meds, if you're able to fully function, do you? I'm more concerned about the judgment of somebody who would go to a therapist who diagnoses them as having satanic demons. If you believe that you have satanic demons, disassociative identity disorder, I can work with you on that. Work with a therapist, get on your meds, I can work with you on that. If you believe that you have satanic demons, If satanic demons are your mental disorder, you're not fit for office. You're not fit. Satanic demons, a history of violence against women, and hiding three children? How do you even get the audacity to go run for office? Yo, I want the audacity of, you know, usually people say mediocre white men, but I was like, I want the audacity of this mediocre motherfucker. Like, you are hiding children while running for public office. You have a restraining order and you are and you are running for public office to be an elected official. You believe you have dis what is it called? What is it called? Disassociative identity disorder, which is the product of satanic demons. You can't even make this shit up. This is why I struggle to write fiction. Right before I got on this call, the big scripted project that I'm working on which nobody wants to write all the writers are like demetria we can't write your voice like you write the shit it's come to a head now where the production company is like so you ain't gotta write the whole pilot but you gonna have to write the first 10 to 15 pages and you have to do that shit before you get on this plane to go to ghana you let me know what your schedule is because we have to move forward because it's money on the line and now your talent fucking up the money fuck I'm struggling to write this shit. Meanwhile, this audacious motherfucker got all this in his past and is out here running for public office like he's a pillar of of respectability. You got the nerve to be out here talking to other people about fathering their goddamn kids when you are dealing with satanic demons and not fathering your own fucking children. (sighs) Audacity. Audacity! All right. My computer has lasted Through all of my ranting today, I will be back on Friday for more. Maybe not with this laptop, but I'll be back on Friday. I've already told you to pick up the merchandise. I told you at the beginning of the episode. I'm telling you again now. DemetriaLLucas.com. Interested men, act interested, and cut the check. At some point, we'll figure out companionship dick and protection. I'm trying to get my ass on this plane to Ghana at the end of next month. I think I'll have everything in place to print and ship While I'm gone. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. That's not everything. But that's what we have for today. We will talk again on Friday. Okay. Bye.